0: Right. well, I just want to say, way to go again on the generosity that we're growing in as a community, that we're blessed in order to be a blessing. It's just really exciting to see what the impact is going to be from those funds that were given. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to continue our study in Luke today. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 14, so you can go ahead and, and get there. And if you've kind of been tracking with us, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, and we've broken up kind of the introduction into a, a mini-series called First Things First, where Dr. Luke is introducing us to the basic elements of the biography of Jesus. Last week, we, we saw the story opened up with Zechariah, who is a priest uh, who is married to a woman named Elizabeth. They lived in ancient Israel about 2,000 years ago. One of the things that defined their relationship was that they uh, were unable to have a child. They had wanted to, but they had not been able to have a child. And now Father Time had ticked out, and that was not going to be part of their life. And the story picks up with Zechariah at the temple. He's doing his job. He's praying. And he's visited by an angel of the Lord. Now, this is remarkable. The angel speaks to him. And says, hey, this prayer, or your prayer has been answered. God is going to give you a son. Your wife, who is barren, is going to bear a child, even in your old age. It's a, a remarkable kind of opening to the story. So last week, we spent some time looking at that and, and saying, well... That was a long time ago. Uh, We're more scientific people, maybe. Maybe we consider ourselves more scientific in 2018. Might be debatable, but I think at least that's our our mindset, right? So what do we do when we read kind of these supernatural events in this biography of Jesus that we find in the New Testament? What do we do with that? And how do faith and science, do they clash? Do they complement? Or is there some kind of uneasy Dance, what do we do with that? And we talked about that last week, and that was personally, for me, such a rich time of preparation. Just really amazed at the beauty and wisdom of God that we see in science. But one of the things that we saw last week uh, that's pertinent for our discussion today, pertinent for our study through Luke, is that though science is incredible, and it gives us great insight into the nature of the world in which we live, great insight into our lives, and we're incredibly grateful for both science and technology, it doesn't, uh, it's unable to speak into some important issues you know, that we all face. It's unable to speak into issues of meaning and purpose. It's unable to speak into issues of, of love and, and identity. As we read the quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, we have guided missiles but misguided men. Right, we can use technology and science to, to discover and innovate and do incredible things, and yet it can't speak to the issue of: is it wise to do that? Is it beneficial to do that? Is it moral to do that? Right? We can have guided missiles but be misguided men. And that what we see is that faith, that, that, that faith and spirituality begins to speak into those issues of meaning and purpose and identity and love that we all Uh, long for. There are other uh, avenues through which you and I uh, take in life. While greatly appreciating science, uh, another avenue that we take in life and and believe in is that of the supernatural. We have a, a longing and almost an obsession, a realization, if you will, that our world is defined by more than just the natural elements. And if you don't believe me, consider with me for a moment. The popular media of our day, right? If you are a book reader, right, our, our culture has gone through kind of this deep interest in the Harry Potter stories about magic. My, my kids and I were at the library yesterday, and in the youth section, the kids section, uh, there are college students in there asking the librarian, Hey, can you show me where the Harry Potter series is? Because we want to read it, right? It's captured the attention of America, this supernatural element, or maybe the Chronicles of Narnia, again, this supernatural world that we read story after story in our movies. Think about the Star Wars series, this story that has gripped the attention of Americans for 30 or 40 years now. My son, who is about to turn eight, is fascinated by Star Wars. We haven't seen the newer movies, but he's seen a couple of the old, old ones, and he's seen books at the library, and his friends talk about it. And we were at the movie theater the other day when Star Wars was premiering. We were seeing something else, and there's this line of people like camped out waiting to get in the movie, right? And My son is just fascinated by this epic story of good versus evil and this force that somehow certain people can become attuned to and can harness to do incredible things. So we're playing basketball the other day, and, and he's practicing shooting, he's learning how to shoot, and I noticed that he's shooting with his eyes closed. And I'm like, what, what are you, why are you doing that? He said, oh, Dad, I'm trying to use the force to make it, right? It's not just eight-year-olds, though, that are in tune with this. Like, if we uh, asked around, I'm sure many of us are just fascinated and intrigued by these Star Wars movies, or maybe if you, if you back up a little bit, the Lord of the Rings series. Again, a fantastic world, battles of good and evil. There's wizards and rings with power and spells, and we just, man, we'll just watch and consume and consume or consume those stories, right? They, they grip our attention, Not to mention kind of the the interest and engagement with zombies and and life, people coming back from the dead, and those type of stories. Like, we're we're hungry for the supernatural. And it's not just a uh, longing that we have. It's not just a, a, man, I wish that the world was like that, but it's not, so I just kind of escape and consume this media. Studies show, research shows that in America... More than ever before, uh, Americans would say that they personally have had supernatural experiences. A recent study uh, surveyed Americans, it's one of those longitudinal ones where they ask over time, and I think, I believe this was 2015 or 2016, 49% of Americans said that they had had a personal experience with the supernatural. Now, the study left it open-ended to what that meant, right? That could mean a thousand different things, but there's a a realization and an experience for most of our country with a supernatural world. In fact, 77% of Americans said they believed in a supernatural world and that that number, that 49%, actually had gone up over time. So even as science has developed, even as technology has solved many of our our problems and issues, there's this growing realization and even experience that we don't just live in a natural world, but we live in a world where there's supernatural forces at work. And as we enter the story of Jesus, what we see is that his life, his birth, his ministry, his death are saturated with the supernatural. And Luke introduces us to this aspect of Jesus early on. He's laying a foundation. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to see the big idea is that Jesus is a door to the supernatural. Jesus is a door to the supernatural. Let's turn in our text and we'll see what I'm talking about. If We'll pick up in verse 14. And we're going to continue the angel's dialogue to Zechariah. He's promised him a son, and he's going to give him some more context around this particular child. The angel's speaking, and he said, You, Zechariah, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Speaking about this son that was to be born, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. More on that in just a minute, what that means. He will have this power to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So let's pause there. This angel that's visited Zachariah says, Hey, this isn't just gonna be, uh, your wife's not just gonna get healed and have a child, but there is a supernatural calling on this child's life. Like I know parents in the room, we think our children are special, right? Uh, you, you know, your four month old rolls over and you're like, man, he must be a prodigy. He just probably gonna say, he's probably gonna be like Einstein. You know, we we think our kids are special, and they are. But but realize here, this is like a whole nother level, right? The angel is saying, hey, your son is going to move in the spirit of Elijah. Now that doesn't mean much to you or to me today, but in Zachariah's day, right, he was saturated in the stories of the Old Testament. And, and Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of the people of Israel. That he had moved in the power of God. That he had spoken to kings and queens and shifted kingdoms. I mean, he had a, a, a supernatural life and ministry. God had used him powerfully. And here the angel is saying to Zechariah, your son is not going to be an ordinary child. He's going to move in that same power and spirit. That he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. He's going to have this ministry to reconcile families, to take fathers and turn their hearts to their children. He's going to have a ministry to take foolish people and disobedient and rebellious people, which had marked the history of Israel. And he's got this power to turn their hearts to the way of the wise and that he was going to prepare the way for God himself to come. This is a supernatural calling over over this child's life. His name is going to be John. Uh, Just to distinguish him, there's John the disciple, right? And there's John the Baptist. This is talking about John the Baptist. You're gonna meet a lot of Johns as we go through Luke, so it's helpful to clarify. This is John the Baptist, right? And, And at that point, the writer, Dr. Luke, he includes some more details, but then he begins to pan out, and he takes us to another scene as this biography is opening up. So let's turn there, starting in verse 26, we see the story unfold another page. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so now we see the angel of the Lord, not just visiting Zechariah, But now he's visiting uh, this girl named Mary. She's engaged to a guy named Joseph. They live in Nazareth and they're planning on getting married. That's what we know about her. We know that she was a virgin, right? They had not had uh, sexual relations. She was a virgin and the angel shows up to her. And this is what he says. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Have you ever had one of those experiences? Before Christmas, my my wife and I and a couple of our kids, uh, we were at the mall. We were at the Galleria. And on the way in, I saw a crime, a, a theft in the parking lot. And I saw these guys who had, who had taken some stuff and they were running in the parking lot, actually running toward me and other people were yelling. It was quite, uh, just got your blood pressure raised, adrenaline pumping, right? And so we're, we're in the, the food court area and we're walking out. And I still, I'm just thinking about this. and I'm like, man, is this the scheme? Like they're, they're jumping people on the way out of the Galleria. So I'm thinking about this and these people, this couple walks up to us and they say, excuse me, excuse me, you there. Right? Now, I'm wondering what sort of greeting this might be, right? So what do I do? You know, I stand up a little bit taller, put my shoulders out a little bit wider, trying to look bigger than I actually am, but let them know, hey, you know, that you're gonna have to think twice about this. I don't know. And they start asking us questions about our stroller and all these things, and I'm like, what sort of greeting is this, right? That's what Mary's feeling, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. An angel shows up and he says, You're favored. God is with you, and she's like, what's the next line to this? What's going to happen? What am I going to need to do? And the angel speaks to her, and he says, "'Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David.' And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So now Mary, who's a virgin, has an angel appear to her and say that she is going to become pregnant with child. And that this child is not going to be just any ordinary child, right? That this is going to be a child with a heavenly calling. That he's going to be called son of the most high God that he is going to have the throne of his father, David. David was the greatest king in Israel's history. So he's going to be an incredible king. That he's actually going to have a reign that rules, not just for 10 years or 20 years, but forever. Wow. I mean, just imagine the the, the blow away. And I want to pause here and just say, hey, uh, when we start talking about the Virgin Mary and kind of how this whole thing came about there are a lot of questions around this In fact Christians uh, have debated uh, for hundreds of years over how to properly understand and articulate the this this birth of Jesus and what the Incarnation means and if you grew up with a more of an Islamic background or in a country uh, that was kind of under um, Islamic culture and religion right what you've probably heard is that Christians believe that God, had sex with Mary, and that's where Jesus came from. And so you've been taught, if that's the case, that's such an affront to God. How dare you say a holy God had sex with a person? That's defiling him, and and you have great offense over this idea. Or if you grew up in a more secular kind of background, you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, hold on. How does a virgin become pregnant? I've had the birds and the bees talk. That's just not the way life works, right? And you have those questions. Or maybe you grew up kind of with more of a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness background. There's all this kind of debate and question around Jesus, his birth, and the incarnation. What does it mean and why does it matter? And so I want to let you know in a couple weeks, when we pick back up in Luke, we're going to spend time on that exact topic what, what is the incarnation, and why does it matter? So you can just put a little note that we're going to come back to that, but today we're going to focus kind of on this idea of Jesus being a door to the supernatural. So look in verse 34. Mary responds, how will this be since I am a virgin? Good question, Mary. Verse 35, the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born Will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow, I mean, this is just opening part of the story. Supernatural event, supernatural event, supernatural event. And I want to share with you three reasons why it's important for us to pay attention, why I believe uh, Luke records this for us as he opens the story. Three reasons why you and I need to pay attention here. Number one, the supernatural activity that marks Jesus' birth says to us, hey, take note of him. Look, Look over here. Look up, look over here, right? Uh, I, I've heard that safe crackers long ago, people who, who had this skill to unlock locked safes, one of the things that they would do to help them do that was to sand down their fingertips, to make their fingertips more sensitive. I want you to look at your fingertips for just a minute. Just imagine taking sandpaper, kind of rubbing down the calluses, rubbing down the dead skin rubbing down kind of the, the, the decay. They did that to make their fingertips more sensitive so they could put it up to the lock and as they were turning, they could feel when the safe kind of ticked, right? It sensitized them. These miracles around the birth of Jesus are meant to be like that for us, to sensitize our hearts and our attention. Living life in this world It's so easy to kind of get caught up in in just my daily existence. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I've got this going on. I've got these new classes. I've got this sport. I've got this new job. I've got this deal in my marriage. I've got this financial situation. Like we just kind of, you know, get wrapped up in our world. And you look up, and all of a sudden a month's gone by, and a couple months have gone by, and we're just, it's easy for us to live kind of all eyes on me. Let alone the pain that many of us have experienced in life, where we hope for something, and it doesn't come to pass. And it feels like our hearts are sick. So we kind of build up this calluses, these calluses, so we don't have to feel everything. Or we get disappointed or we get a bitter or or even unbelief. Things in our relationship with God that we are believing for, and we just they don't work out the way that we thought. And so like unbelief kind of begins to set in, we, we begin to let that be a callus around our hearts. And these miracles in the life of Jesus surrounding his birth are meant to be like that sandpaper on our hearts, sensitizing us, saying, look over here, take note, God is doing something. So they're grabbing our attention. Last week, when we talked about the... Um, the, the idea of knowing God through nature and creation, that creation reveals aspects of God's character. Uh, I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton on kind of the bigness of God and then what happens in the incarnation. He says this, but it is true in a sense that God, who had been only a circumference, was seen as a center. And a center is infinitely small. Now, what does he mean by that? How can we properly understand this? Well, what he started out saying, the circumference, is the idea of just the bigness of God, the the wisdom of God, the majesty of God that we see in creation. Romans chapter 1 tells us this, that what can be known about God is made plain to them, them being the world, because God has shown it to them. What's he done? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, Have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What's it saying? It's saying through creation, we talked about this last week, we can see the attributes of God, his wisdom, his power, his order, right? It's why when you see like a picture of the Milky Way or you look through a telescope or something like that and you just see outer space, it can give you a transcendent feeling of like, wow, that's just amazing. Or you see something like the northern lights, like you get to travel somewhere, or you see a picture of just kind of these, these lights and it's so beautiful and you're just amazed at the beauty of God in creation. Or mountains and waters, why so many people love to connect with God in nature. Or maybe you look inside and we see the way that our bodies are made up, cells and how those things work and we just, it's a blow away, right? We can see, we can learn about the attributes of God in nature. But it's big, right? It's just, it's, it's far out there. Another one for many people is the birth of a child, right? You see the birth process. And you're like, how in the world did that happen? And you have this sense that you're involved with something much bigger than yourself, right? It's the circumference. It's the breadth of God. But what happens in the incarnation is that God, who is seen as a circumference, comes as a center, and a center that's exceedingly small. So God is saying, pay attention right here, face-to-face with me. He who was seen as a circumference is now seen as a center. The second thing that the supernatural activity around the birth of Jesus does, is it actually doesn't just stop with his birth. It's not like, hey, there's some remarkable events, and then he lives kind of just a a wise and good life. No, but his life, his ministry is saturated with the supernatural. And as we read about the supernatural ministry of Jesus, the supernatural life of Jesus, it shows us the way that God uses power. That God doesn't use power for manipulative purposes God doesn't use power for private plunder, but God uses his power to prosper, to redeem, to heal, and to restore. Let's break that down. Uh, My kids had an event at school uh, this weekend that was themed around Back to the Future. My kids have never seen that movie. They're asking me, Dad, what is this Back to the Future deal? I'm trying to explain the story, and it's a bit confusing, right, to explain Uh, but if you, just to refresh your memory, right, so Doc and Marty McFly, they discover some way to travel forward or backward in time, and and the story is centered around that, and there's an arch enemy enemy of of, uh, Marty McFly named Biff, and Biff is kind of his high school rival, the big bully, and somehow Biff discovers their secret, and he travels forward in time, and he purchases a sports almanac that contains all the sports kind of results for however many years, 30 years, right? And then he travels back in time, and now he's got this information on the future. He has this power, right? And he uses his power to go in and bet on all the winning teams. So he knows the Super Bowl champion. He knows the score because he's, he's been to the future. He's got this power, right? And he becomes incredibly wealthy. He uses his power for personal profit, private, private plunder, right? And many of us have experienced people in power that use their power and authority to take advantage of others, to manipulate, to control, to, 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 to take personal advantage. What we see in the miracles of Jesus is that he, marked with this power, we see the wisdom and the goodness and the kindness and the generosity with which he uses it. It's not for private plunder. It's not to manipulate. Like when you see Jesus stop to heal a leper and they're cleansed, a leper rejected by society that no one cares about but God cares about him, and Jesus uses his power and he doesn't say, hey, pay me for doing that. He just gives and he heals. Or when Jesus heals a demonized prostitute and sets her free. Or when Jesus multiplies bread and provides for the hungry. We see the way in which God uses his power and it moves our hearts. So what I want you to know is as we begin to look at the miracles of Jesus, we begin to see the goodness of God. Now this is important. If you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, you know that 66 to 75 percent of people report themselves as primarily sensing life like we want to see and we want to experience and we want to touch and we want to we want to taste it right in front of us that's the primary way we take in information for most of us and this is really important God did not primarily send us a book to read about him in God did not kind of write us a love letter from heaven That I might read kind of of his affection for me. Do you realize the Bible is a record of God not sending word, but coming in the person of Jesus and demonstrating what he's like? So when we look at the miracles of Jesus, we see God right in front of us, on display. This is a valuable book, but I want to remind you that it is a history of actual events that have happened. God sent himself to us. Third uh, reason why we need to pay attention to the miracles of Jesus that saturate his birth and saturate his life is that supernatural ministry is the inheritance of, and the calling of the church. Supernatural ministry is the inheritance and the calling of the church. What do I mean by that? Uh, several weeks ago, I, I was approached by these gentlemen who run a ministry and they wanted to meet together to talk about how we might could work with them as a church. So I was meeting with them and they were explaining kind of some of their initiatives, and I realized the things you're talking about cost a lot of money. So I said, how, how does this work? How do you get your funding, right? I'm, I'm ready for, you know, them to say, well, I'll get it from you. <laughs> and uh, so they say, well, actually, interesting story. Uh, our organization is funded by a guy uh, in, in Great Britain. And he uh, has a really large inheritance. He was born into a family. that was incredibly rich. So he has a billion-dollar trust fund, not because of anything he did, because of the family that he was born into. And they said the way he's decided, the way he feels called to use this billion-dollar trust fund is not to spend it on himself, but he wants to use it to advance the gospel of Jesus in the world. He's actually hoping to spend all of the billion dollars in his lifetime for a billion gospel presentations. So he underwrites everything that we do. Out of his inheritance and out of his calling. Wow. And what we see in the gospel of Luke is that this supernatural ministry, these miracles that Jesus walked in, were not just limited to him, but as people became his disciples, he began to train them, to empower them, to impart to them a supernatural ministry that reflects the family that they had come into and the calling of that was on them. Let's look at Luke 24. This is the end of the gospel of Luke. And here's what he says. This is what Jesus says, right, to his disciples. Then Jesus opened their minds, opened the minds of the disciples to understand the scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. We get the contents of the gospel, right? We see that Jesus is saying, hey, this has been prophesied. Now it's come to pass. You can see in the scriptures. Now you can see it in my life. But he said, that's not enough. You're to go out and proclaim this, but I'm going to send you with something or send you with someone on your journey. Look in verse 48. He said, you are witnesses of these things, witnesses of the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, Luke is saying, hey, I'm writing to you an eyewitness account. And then Jesus says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? When Jesus refers to the promise of the Father, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling the disciples, hey, you know the gospel. You've been formed by the gospel. I'm sending you out that the whole world could hear this message, could come to know me, could be redeemed. But you need to be filled. You need to be clothed with power from on high. You need the power of the Holy Spirit because you're not just meant to go in word, but there's meant to be a demonstration of the kingdom's power in your ministry. Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the history of how this happened in the early church. And this is the inheritance and the calling of Jesus' church. So we want to pay attention because you and I have an inheritance to walk in this and to demonstrate the kingdom, to demonstrate Jesus' supernatural ministry here in our lives. I'm going to tell you a story to close. Uh, This week, I I met with a gentleman uh, who is a part of our church community. I was getting to know him. And, man, this was a really cool story. We ate lunch at Whole Foods. If you know me, uh, hang out at Whole Foods, fair amount. So we're there eating lunch. We're getting to know one another, sharing you know stories and, and whatnot. And I go to use the restroom and I come back and he's talking to the table next to us. There are two women there. One of them has a hurt leg. She has one of those leg braces on. It's not the homemade, you kind of wrap yourself up with some gauze, but one of those huge leg braces. Like, immobilizes the whole leg and she's got it propped up on her chair and he starts, to, he's making conversation, and I realize when I come back where this is going. And he says, hey, uh, I believe Jesus heals. I love to pray. Could I pray for your knee to be healed? She said, that would be great. Single mom, 13-year-old autistic kid, said she'd torn some ligaments in her knee. So he asked her, well, how severe is the pain on a scale of zero to 10? I said, oh, it's a 10. It hurts all the time. It's throbbing. I, I don't like taking pain medicine. It makes my head feel cloudy, so it just, I'm just in pain. He okay, well, let me pray for it. He actually prays for it twice. And he asks her, hey, uh, how does it feel now? She said, well, it went from a 10 to a zero. It feels good. And she she took her leg down, and I could see her testing it, kind of under the table, like, did this really just happen? And then he goes on, and he says, hey, just I was praying for you, I felt like God uh, had some, some encouragement for you. And he began to prophesy over her. And, and not just generic things, but very specific things about her, the relationships in her life and what she was going through. And the thing that struck me about this was it wasn't, hey, here's all the things you're doing wrong. Hey, you need to get your act together. It was the kindness of God yes. that God wanted to pour out his love on her, that God was going to encourage her, that God was going to work in these relationships, that he was going to provide for her, that God was going to prosper and heal her and bless her. And she, it, it hit her so personally and so significantly, she begins to cry right there at the table. Now her friend is sitting there, and her friend is like, what just happened, right? She's a little bit cynical. She, you can tell she'd been through some things herself. And, and so uh, my friend looks at her and says, hey, do you happen to have uh, back pain in your back? I just, I don't know. I felt like the Lord told me that. She's like, actually, I do. I have a job where I have to stand 14 or 15 hours you know, at, at a shift, and I've just got this chronic back pain in my back, and it hurts. So I believe God wants to heal you too. So he prayed for her, and she was like, my back. Stopped hurting. And then he began to prophesy in the same way over her. And she too, because of the significance and the the kindness and the the, the words, she began to cry. And they were like, we came to Whole Foods just to try and eat healthy. And then we got this. This is amazing. And what I loved is they both had had background in the church. Both weren't engaged with the church presently. And they both had had kind of just some Some hurt and some pain related to that. So I don't think there's really anything of substance there. And that God would care about these women to heal, to encourage, to bless. And I was watching my friend. I didn't do anything. I was just like, man, this is amazing. And I left overwhelmed at the goodness of God. Right. That's a demonstration of what we're talking about. We see the goodness of God, and there's an inheritance and calling on us as believers to minister in the supernatural. So that's why I want to pay attention, because this is going to be all through the gospel of Luke. We're getting equipped and trained for something that God has called us to walk into together, and we're learning together. And with that, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to close. Jesus, you are awesome. You are good. You are not limited to words on a page, Lord, but you came and you demonstrated your goodness and your kindness and your wisdom and your power in our midst, Lord. And we just honor you. We honor you in this house, Lord. And we thank you that there is an inheritance and a calling for us to walk in, to, to minister in the supernatural by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us all just to realize the significance of who you are and this call on our lives. In Jesus' name. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh, man, why don't you go to our website, and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, If you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.